The ancient Greeks used to say that a society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they shall never sit. Well, this morning I planted a tree and I am an old man. And I do not feel that it made our society any greater. And in fact, the frustration that I felt digging in, in rock-infested soil, the, the calluses on my hand, the irritation I felt with the tree, all of it, I think made me a worse person and a worse member of our society. <laughs> and so I just want to say, those ancient Greeks didn't know what they were talking about. And maybe that's why <laughs> their society isn't around to talk about. So there, that's my thought. That's my opening thought for the day. I don't know. Is that is that helpful, John? I like it. I like it. How are you? I, I'm, I'm a little cantankerous. <laughs> I'm a my, little favorite can quote, my favorite quote like that is that one about like, plant a tree, write a book, have a son. I'm not sure who wrote, uh, who said that, but do you, do you know that quote? No. Plant a, yeah, plant a tree, have a son, write a book, something like that. As if like, what, they're all like acts of generation or something? I, I think they're all like just, hey, hey, this is what every man should do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, believe me, having seen some of the books that people have written, some of the sons right. that people have raised, and <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to argue with the trees. I mean, that's the, the pain is on the person who plants it as far as I am. Learning. Where did you plant a tree? In my backyard. Nice. Yeah, I'm actually, we're actually in this in the midst of this process of trying to remove all the invasive and non-native plants in our backyard and mm. replace them with native species and you know grass being the most pervasive invasive non-native plant in this world in this country and i actually learned all this do you remember we had an astronomer an astrophysicist named nick warner um on the show many years ago wow it's got to be many years ago because yeah, i do not remember He's, he, he was a CERN fellow. He had worked on the Super Collider Project. Mm. His wife, Lisa, was and, and is like an activist in California where, of course, there's a huge drought, partly because people are watering all these plants that don't belong there. Right. So, I mean, we got, we got sort of religion from her, but then it, it wasn't until we got here that we actually could afford a piece of land in which to live it out. To, to, to do it, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, all yeah. I have to say, yeah. I'm trying to be a good a good gardener, and and it just doesn't and, and all with it's me doing all. is making you cantankerous. Yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah. Not not that this is interesting to anybody, but what is interesting, I think, is that you're here, and I'm here, and that generally means that we're going to take up some random or not so random questions that are that are directed to us by people that listen to the show. Exactly. And, uh, you know, normally we pick one and then we answer or try to respond to that one with some, some thoughts. At length. At length. And uh, this time, Bart, I figured I've got five for you. And may I, because I figured some of these maybe could be a little shorter in the response. So I think we should just see how many we can get through of the five. Let's go. All right. Question number one. For someone trying to do good in the world, what's wrong with a civic organization like Rotary or the Lions Club? Or what about a charity-based operation like Habitat for Humanity or Greenpeace? Wouldn't that fulfill both goodness and community? That, 
It feels like a trick question. Well, it feels like maybe the kind of question that is like, hey, Bart is trying to do X, Y, and Z. These organizations do what X, Y, and Z. Why does Bart never mention them? Oh. That's what I thought. Okay. Well, then, because Bart's an idiot. I mean, <laughs> one of the principles when I was doing nonprofit consulting and, you know, back in the day, people, because I, I, I was working with my dad and we had sort of a chunk of money to invest in good new projects that would help poor people. And people would come to me with ideas and say, hey, we want to do this and we want to do this. And the first question I would always ask them is, because, you know, they would come in and they would go, like, here's what we're going to call it. And here's our logo. And, you know, here's where, and I would say, wait, 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 before we, before we go down all that road, you want to get your 501c3 and start a board of directors and do all this heavy lifting. I'm like, have you checked around? Is there anybody else doing sort of like what you're doing, what you want to do? Because you might just want to throw in with them or see if you could take your specific program idea and, you know, and, and your funding base and bring it to them and sort of, you wouldn't have to reinvent the wheel or you wouldn't have to get all this office space or you wouldn't have to come up with new logos and all that stuff. And a lot of times people were, they were more excited about creating the small enterprise than they were about efficiently doing the work. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, so my, my whole thought was before you start anything, see if there's somebody you can partner, see if somebody's already doing it. See if you can shape what they're doing or add to what they're doing or, 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 or participate in what they're doing. Because, you know, ultimately, it's kind of like my, you know, my friend in restaurant business said to me, he says, if you really like to cook, don't start a restaurant. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because you, you, you won't cook. You'll end up worrying about bills and, and renting office space and, you know, hiring people. And, and so it's sort of like if you really want to volunteer, don't start an organization. Go look for the Rotary. Go look for, you know, go look for Habitat for Humanity. And what's interesting is, is that th there may be a, like a hidden undercurrent where a number of the organizations that do the coolest work, Salvation Army, for instance, mm -hmm. a lot of them have faith-based underpinnings. And some of them, the faith stuff still is pervasive. And others of them are like Southern Methodist University, which is Southern Methodist in name only, like it's just a university. Um, you know, all the Ivy League colleges were were, were faith based. They're all secular institutions now. Um, so I think that in many ways, like you look at a thing like Habitat, or you look at a thing like the Salvation Army, and I'd be like, take a good look, because you know what, they may be doing exactly what you want to do, and you can then concentrate on working alongside other people. So there is an aspect of community and a, a way of connecting with people. And there's, a, and also you don't have to come up with the infrastructure or the funding base. You know, you can just get involved at, the, at that, at the sharp end of the stick. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so for me, like if the question is why not, I go like, you no. on the contrary, you should look for that. And if the question is, why don't you talk about it more? The answer is I don't, cause it's an oversight. I should. You know, not least, not least of which is a lot of the people, a lot of the conversations that we have are about loneliness, and and I have in my in my other kind of work as a counselor, I, I end up talking to a lot of particularly women who are struggling on where to find men who share their value system, and mm. one of the things that I always say is like, well, if your value system is about acting, 
you might want to go to community theater. There'll probably be a lot of people there that are really share that as a value. And if your value is children, you know, you might want to volunteer with big brothers and big sisters or the YMCA or some after school tutoring program. You'll probably find the other volunteers also care about children. And so sometimes I think like, not just if you're looking for a, a romantic partner, but if you're just looking for friendship, if you move to a new city, or if you wake up one day and you're not a Christian anymore and the church community that you've been a part of isn't there anymore, and you go, gosh, where am I going to find people that care about what I care about? Finding volunteer opportunities is not just like a way of service. It's also, as the listener intuits, it's also a way of, of connecting with peers other, you know, the other volunteers become a, a source of potential connection and friendship. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, th th that one's like, that was nice opening question because it's kind of a slam dunk. Like, you know, person going like, isn't this a good idea? And you're like, yeah, it's a really good idea on two levels. Yeah. 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 Cool. Uh, okay. Question number two. You mentioned recently that not being in good health has not been good for your parents. I think the Christians in my family believe that their religion will be comforting to them when they go through a hard time, but I'm starting to think it may not be. Is there any research on this? Is religion a comfort to people in hard times, or can it actually be a source of stress? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a complicated one, actually. Maybe this is a, an episode on its, on its own, but uh, for now, do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, actually, I don't think it's complicated. Oh, really? No, no, because, you know, I mean, I think the person's saying like, you know, gosh, I, I wonder if there's any research out there. Like, if we could determine that believing in God helped you in hard times, then people would, more people would opt to believe in God. And if we determine that, you know, that faith is actually an impediment to, you know, like faith actually holds you back from facing death with equanimity and, uh, and with peacefulness, then people would go like, oh, well, I want to do death well, so I'm going to abandon faith. And like, it, that's not how faith works. Right. You know, the people don't, people don't choose faith because of its utility in general. They are loved into it. They are raised into it. They are frightened into it. They are naturally prone to it or they're not. And, and so, you know, you know, we could go on ad nauseum about why people leave faith commitments, you know, or why they stay with them. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's, it's, it's not based on a like, well, I see a I see a real estate deal coming up and I think it would be better for me to be a believer. So I'm going to opt into that because I think I can make <laughs> a lot of money off it. Like, right. We are who we are. Yeah. So, so you're, so you're saying in this situation, there's no A, B test that somebody can perform on themselves. Like, Hey, would I be happier this way or this way? Right. Because you go like, well, what about my buddy, Joe? His faith is giving him a lot of comfort. So if I opted in, I would get a lot of comfort. And you're like, ah, you know what? How Joe's faith works for Joe and how, how that same faith would work for you could be really different. Right, right. And so you I, know, like I look at my parents right now, you know, and I, I don't see them drawing much comfort from their faith in, in the difficulty that they're in. Yeah. But the question is, have I seen Christians who did draw comfort? Yes. Mm -hmm. Have I seen Christians who their faith actually made the suffering worse. Yes. 
seen people who have suffered a real tragedy. Mm-hmm. And then they had to expend, not only are they grieving, but they're also desperately trying to figure out how a good and loving God could do this. And they're wondering like, have I done something wrong? Have I angered God? What did I, how was I unfaithful? Is, is it because I didn't have enough faith? And so they are, their faith actually burdens them with another level of sadness and guilt. And, and, but, but then I've also seen people that are like, God is carrying me through this. I don't know how I would make it without my faith. And, and, and I've also seen, you know, and then you flip it on the other side people that have no faith and they go like, oh gosh, I'm so glad in the midst of this, I don't have to be at, you know, for me, when I go through stuff now, it is, Marty often talk about this, how as a young woman, she would be suffering through something like insomnia or, um, she would be trying to do good for the good for the Lord. She'd be running some big project to help poor children and she couldn't sleep at night because she was so stressed out by all that she was doing. And she would say, God, I'm doing this work for you. Please enable me to sleep so that I can, you know, function tomorrow. And she wouldn't fall asleep. Right. And 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 she's like, I'm so grateful that now I'm not like thinking that somehow I've angered God or or questioning why God you know, just like, yeah, I can't sleep. But there's no there's no kind of moral question that it raises when she's yeah. suffering. No, I, I have a couple of Christian friends right now who are going through an extremely hard time in their marriage. Like it, it just won't succeed, most likely, you know? Yeah. And uh it's it's amazing how debilitated I feel help trying to help them because I don't have any of like the secular answer you know i can't i can't like put that into the situation so i don't know it's just an it's just a very frustrating thing because it's like yeah they just want to sort of trust that god will guide them through it or whatever well i mean and that's you know you watching like you feel helpless because they're operating under that system i I think the real sadness is when they feel helpless because they're operating under that system that's kind of what you said it better than i could yeah 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 and so i i think like that's the thing is that for some people in some circumstances, religion can be a huge comfort in times of trouble. And for other people in other circumstances, it works just the opposite. Even if we knew exactly how it worked, we don't, it's sort of like saying like, would, would you be able to suffer through grief easier if you were six foot six? And I go like, even if I could definitively answer that question. And it turns out that yes, being six foot six would really help you. Can you make yourself six foot six? No, <laughs> it's not very helpful information. Right. <laughs> so the real question is, how do I help this? How do I help this person, given their worldview, get through this thing? Yeah. And, so if he, so, so when this person says, "I think the Christians of my family believe that their religion will be comforting to them," well, we just don't know whether they'll be the first category or the second. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so in the end, I think the question becomes, how do we comfort one another and how do we comfort ourselves within the framework of the worldview that we're stuck with? Um, or at least that we're stuck with for now. Now, sometimes a worldview fails under the pressure of hard times. And that's when a person pressure tests it and sees that there isn't a logical consistency to it or that it doesn't actually answer the questions that they need answered. And so, you know, we've all seen people 
come to faith under pressure and leave the faith under pressure. So it's it's not that those kind of life pressures don't shape people's worldviews and and sometimes shape their faith or their lack of faith or their change of faith. It's just that it's not something that we can control. It's something that happens to us. And and that's why I think like we have to be really gentle with people when their faith is changing. And we have to be gentle with ourselves when when we when we we can't believe what we want to believe. Because we've been taught in a lot of the religions that faith is a choice and a decision. But in reality, in most of our experiences, it's not something that, you know, it, our, our faith can be shaped and changed by the stuff around us, but we can't just pull a trigger or pull push a button and believe what we want to believe. Right. It's not just a conscious decision. Like here's what I'm going to believe today. Yeah. 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 This will work for me. Yeah. Great. Uh, question number three. I recently listened to an episode you did on pornography with Dr. Marty Klein. I remember that episode. I think that was quite a while ago, maybe early last year or something, Bart. Oh, yeah, that was a while back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it says, I do feel much more positively about sex and different kinds of sexual expression now that I don't believe in God, which is nice. But in my marriage, I find myself wanting my partner to primarily express herself sexually with me rather than through masturbation by herself or porn use. Is this wrong of me? I think that when it comes to stuff like pornography and masturbation and all of that stuff, I think that the categories of right and wrong are are maybe not very helpful. Mm -hmm. I think a better, you know, because that implies that, I mean, I there are some things that are right and wrong in that situation. So for instance, even if you don't believe in kind of an old fashioned Christian purity code, um, and even if you're really liberal about pornography and stuff like that, you would go like, Hey, but what if pornography was made by like exploiting somebody? Right. Or what if somebody was, you know, in, in, in sort of sexually trafficked, like, is it, mm -hmm. is it okay to consume pornography of people that are saying, and you're like, that's wrong. Right. Like, right. you know, of course it would be wrong to consume, um, Christian worship songs that were produced by people that had been illegally trafficked as well. Right. But I think, you know, even if, if, if the question becomes like, is it wrong to look at pictures of other people having sex? I go like, you know, I don't think that's a super helpful category. I think the real question is, is it healthy? Um, is it, is it healthy? Is it helpful? Is it helpful? They've got a relationship. Perhaps have, um, it sounds like a monogamous relationship. And they have, to, they have to run their questions of what kinds of content they look at or what kinds of activities in, in the lens of, hey, what works for this relationship? What, what causes us to have the, the highest degree of trust and security and excitement and joy and connection and fulfillment with each other. I think Marty Klein, I don't want to speak for him, but I think if he was here, he would sort of say, hey, let's get curious. Like, why does that bother you? Mm -hmm. And what is it that you're afraid of or, 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 or what is it that you're uncomfortable with? And, 
and ask yourself like is is you know is that you know what's go- what's going on with you because he said a lot of times when somebody has like a pornography collection and their partner is r- upset about their pornography addiction or their sexual deviancy he said the real question is like wow like that that just sounds kind of like obsessive behavior on the face of it he said would it be would it really be any different if they were collecting um insects right and cattle, you know that, yeah. that there's something like what are you avoiding why are you spending that much time doing this you if, know if if i had to speculate which no one should ever do but if i had to i would say this may be about the fear that their partner I think a wife in this case is expressing herself sexually through these other means uh, rather than expressing herself sexually through a sex life with him. So like yeah. there may be, you know, like this energy that he feels like, oh, I would, I would really like that energy to be coming my way mm-hmm. and it's not coming my way. Well, and, and that, that may well be. And so like, that's what I mean. There's no one size fits all answer, but I will tell you this is that in a lot of relationships, especially where there's maybe um, a difference in libido. Sometimes it's really, sometimes it's really helpful for somebody to have kind of a relatively benign outlet for their excess energy. I mean, I, I know, I'm, you know, there have been times when, for various reasons, my wife has been sort of physically off limits. You know, just had a child, or mm-hmm. I would like to say that my my libido just shuts down in that situation, like out of sympathy and just goes, oh, you're having a hard time. I no longer want to have sex, but, but it's not that way. And you're like, but what about the trust and this? Yeah, that's right. I'm not going to go have sex with somebody else. That's not part of our contract. So I think, you know, like, so it's very situational and yeah, yeah. And and it's big picture. I mean, and so even when you like what this person is saying, it's like, even when I remove the, like my sense of like, this is impure and this is wrong and this is angering God. I'm still not always comfortable with it in every situation. I would say like, yeah, that's, that's probably, and that's probably right. There are some situations in which it's inappropriate. Yeah. And this, this couple is probably going from a, a paradigm of an ethic of restriction and repression to, to like figuring out what the ethic is after those things are gone and, yeah. and, and some discomfort with the transition maybe. But you know what, John, there's also men and women, and, and again, I'm not going to draw hard and fast lines, but in general, men and women, often their sexual arousal works differently. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes somebody is using pornography and masturbation to stoke their desire for their partner. And, and they actually need to kind of prime the pump, if you will. In order to be, in order to make themselves available, or in order to be an initiator sexually, they can't just like start from an idea. Like, oh, you want to have sex? Okay, I'm aroused. And so, well, then I wonder if one practical suggestion here could be to ask her whether she would be interested in in watching pornography together. Well, you know, maybe, but like again, maybe this person is they they need a little sexual privacy. They need they need a little space. To get themselves, to I get, see their, what you're to get yep. their head together, so that they can show up in the relationship in the way that they they want to, and so you know, like you you can easily make the assumption, like, well, if they're putting energy out there, it's not coming my way, and I I, I want it focused on me. And you're like, yeah, you know, like sometimes in order to focus energy on you, I need to 
you know, ha- have some fantasy or have some imagination or, or, or have something that's completely under my control, which when you're alone with your porn or your masturbation, it's completely under your control. And, and, and then you're able to sort of get yourself in the right place where if, if you start out with the other person and they aren't on the right wavelength as you are, like they're, they're thinking it's going to be more aggressive and you're thinking it's going to be calmer or vice versa, or they, or, or they're like, Hey baby. And you're like, God, that doesn't turn me like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, you can be pushed over the, you can be pushed out of the mood so easily at the beginning, but you're like, Oh, but once I get ahead of steam, people really need to like, it, it takes a long time and it takes constant readjustment to sort of figure out what works for us. Yeah, very good. And what's in the best interest of our relationship? And I think like that's a legitimate thing to say to your partner is I'd like I'd like us to think about our sexuality, you know, and try to figure out like what 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 are we willing to do so that we can have a great connection. Yeah. That's actually a good thought for relation kind of like navigating relationships in general because I think the instinct often is when you really want someone's attention and affection, you know, you kind of want to smother them with attention and affection, you know, to get it. And the sometimes the answer is, you know, allowing people to be more, you know, to develop more of their own individuality and their own space a little bit so that they can come to you completely full and ready to engage. Yeah. And that, that you know, so count, counts even beyond sexuality. Hey, it's like that with work. And, you know, I was talking with a friend the other day and he was saying like, you know, my, my, my partner's work is so demanding. And sometimes I get really jealous of that, you know, and I, I, I wish, I wish she didn't have that. Um, and, and I'm sort of like, yeah, be careful what you, be careful what you wish for, you know, mm-hmm. because sometimes that energy and even your jealousy and your, your, you know, that, that, that person, the, the very reason why they are vibrant and exciting and interesting for you and that you want more of them is connected to that that meaning that work that they're doing. And if, if you got all of them, you would actually get less of them Yes, because the thing that takes them away from you is also what fills them up and brings them back to you full. Dude, I feel like that's so important what you're saying there. Like I, yeah, cause that's a mistake a lot of people make. It really is. And it's the, and it's because it's counterintuitive. I think it's easy to make that one. Now, listen, I'm no expert on this, John, but I hear a lot of people talk about scarcity mentality. And I once heard this really great podcast about scarcity mentality that I should look up and we can put it on the show notes with this, but it's about kind of how it works. But one of the things is, is that when some, sometimes when somebody has come through a scarcity mentality and then the very thing that they want becomes available, they over, they, they like, so they're lonely and a friend finally becomes available. And they destroy the friendship by overwhelming it because their scarcity mentality tells them like, this is, I I gotta, I gotta grab all of this right now or it'll go away. And they end up, they end up killing the goose that lays the golden egg or driving away the very thing that they were looking for. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in terms of sexuality within a relationship and, and, or, 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 you know, attention more broadly understood, but like, let's just keep it at sexuality for a moment. I think like a person can sometimes think like there's not a lot of sexuality going on in this relationship. So I want to, I want to, I want to make sure I get all of it. And you end up 
you end up getting less of it. Okay, stop there. Let's take a break. Okay, great. This is Katie, one of Humanize Me's producers. Fun fact, BART releases bonus episodes every month to supporters of the show on Patreon. These episodes are more personal, more relaxed, with insider tidbits, behind-the-scenes convos, and some deeper dives into why this podcast matters to people. Check out our options at patreon.com backslash humanize me. Thanks! Uh, question number four. Online, I come across lots of different sources of, quote, news, unquote. And with an election coming up, I'm trying to make sure I'm well informed. How do I ensure that my media diet is a good one? Wow. John, I, I may be crazy. Did we ever talk about this? I mean, we've talked about talking about this. We've talked we ever, about talking about it. Yeah. We've never done it. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is the one that really is a show. Um, yeah, episode, it could be an know. entire, yeah. I mean, whole books have been written on this, right? Yeah. And I'd love to get somebody who really knows about this. I, I, I would, and I would love to say that I have an answer, um, or that I even have an intelligent response. I mean, <laughs> I think that the, the person asking the question instinctively knows that there is a problem here and that there is a healthier way of consume of, of, of of sort of creating their media diet, right? And yeah. all I can say to that is, yes, I think that's true too. And you're like, well, Bart, how <laughs> have you, you done how that do you do in it? your life? And you're like, I have not. You know, like, <laughs> I read the New York Times and well, I know I, it's skewed can, like crazy. Well, I don't know if like crazy, I don't agree. You and I see the New York Times slightly differently. We both read it, but you have a much more kind of uh, conditional you know, readership than I do. Didn't I think, if, Didn't I think if you're, if you're looking to be well-informed, you could probably do no better than reading the New York times. Uh, except if you maybe add the wall street journal, because both of them are just s slightly to one side or the other and not like extremely to one side or the other. And they're both very good news organizations with real journalists doing real work in real newsrooms. And to me that that's all you need. But I understand it's more complicated than that. Well, and, and I like, I think, you know, that's not a bad starting point is to say, try to find the most well-respected thing on that in, in your part of the political spectrum and then try yeah. to find the most re well-respected thing on the other side of the political spectrum. That being um, said, if, I mean, j if you, if you only had one paper to pick up and you picked up the New York times every single day, you're going to see conservative voices in that paper every single day. So it's not like you wouldn't be, I, I think what you said is good. It's a good start. You no, know, I mean, they're trying and, and they're trying. Yeah. And, and again, like they were, I think that was, I think they were better prior to Trump. And I think that when they saw Trump emerging, they were so, they were so scared of him that they decided like, look, we're going to kind of sell our soul, our, our journalistic in, um, neutrality soul and we're going to you know fight to save our civilization and i really believe that there were that were that that conversation was probably had in there where they were like look we're going to be openly against this guy we're not going to try to we're not going to pretend that we're neutral here and 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 maybe they can get it back i mean i i i do see them trying to get I it mean, back i mean pe people forget that the 
I mean, wh- who was it that broke the Hillary Clinton email story? The New York Times put it on the front cover. If if you just read real journalists writing about news that that are in a you know accountable traditional j- journalism structures, you're you're not going to be you know completely led astray. Let's put it that way. So it's a good start, and then yeah. from there. What would you do? I mean, I think uh, part of the problem is so you know, a lot of people are getting their news from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and places like that, and so even just picking up a paper, the digital equivalent of a paper, as I do, is is a a leap and bound ahead of getting it from Twitter. You know, that's true. That's true. But but, but I'm going to go in a different direction. What I'm going to say is, in terms of the diet, far beyond just where you're getting your news is just the amount of news that we're all consuming the number of stories and and i'm not just talking about about ukraine or about economic policy in, in the united states i'm talking about about the kardashians and about um leeds united's latest striker ac- acquisition mm-hmm. and all of that stuff like that simply consuming as many short stories as we do as many little drib drabs of things. I think wherever they're coming from, and again, you could read the New York Times, they send me an email with all these stories and I just find that it consumes all of my time. And besides the time consumption angle and the sedentariness and all the things it does to our brain to consume, like beyond all of that, I would just say that if you want to really understand how the world is, in some ways, most of those stories aren't relevant to you, like what's happening in Mozambique and stuff like that. It, it's the news that's most important to you is is kind of happening in the neighborhood, in the city, or the town that you live in, and you're probably not very up on that news. And I would right. say, like, you know, what would be a really good way to get some news is to go down to the bus stop and sit down next to the person and say, "Hey." What do you think is happening in the city these days? That like, what do you like about what's going on here? What don't you like? What's what's going on? And I mean, I know nobody's going to do this, but when, but, but but it's 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 sort the of the spirit uh, of it. But the spirit of it. But the idea is like, what's going on? You know, like I was talking to a, a friend of mine today, and he was telling me about his two kids going back to school. Now, this might shock you, but because I don't have children in school, and it's been a long time, like I like September snuck up on me. And I, I know it's September, but I wasn't thinking about kids going back to school and how that's changing my friend's life and how that, you know, what's happening in, in the world as all these people get back to school. And and so thinking about the, the beginning of a school year, it, like that's local news. And I, you know, and, and you can read the New York Times all day long and you won't probably get that unless you live in New York. Like it's, they're not talking about what's happening in Cincinnati. In the Cincinnati school system. But like if I say to my parents, so like, what's going on? It's like, well, they've changed some of the rules in Cincinnati and now they're doing it this way and that way. And like this, this place is closed and this is changing. And like that is, and by the way, if I had gone to a better school, I wouldn't say like in between every word, like I'm <laughs> doing right now. But but the point is, is that there is a kind of a local news that was what most people, it was the only news that they ever got up until about a hundred years ago. Right. And I think that one of the things that you could do to improve your diet most of all is almost go to a paleo news diet where you think like, let me get some of the news that 
you know, that traditionally has been most important, what's going on right around me? And, and then supplement it with the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Whereas what I think is happening right now is that is the news. That is what we consider to be relevant, what's happening in the world. And what's happening right around us is not part of our diet at all. Yeah. And you know what, what kind of occurs to me when you say that? We have, what, 350 million people in this country or something like that? You're all, with, a, with a population that size, you're always going to be able to report a terrible story every single hour of every single day and make it, you know, make it national news. If you're focused on local, it, it gives you a much more restrictive. Well, if you're, if you're, if you're focused on the stuff that you're actually hearing about and knowing about, if you focus on local news, like by watching the six o'clock local news, if it, if it bleeds, it leads. I mean, they'll, they'll look in your neighborhood for the worst things that they can tell you because that stuff actually captures attention, but it's if not. If it bleeds, it, it leads. Yeah. But yeah, I've no, have I you never heard, heard that? No. Oh, yes. And, and, and so- It's so true. But that's not a healthy way of getting a sense of how the world really is. I mean, I, I'm a, one of the things I'm aware of, John, is like I counsel people now, like six, six, seven hours a day sometimes. And my perspective of what's happening in the world is completely screwed up by that. Because I see a, a self-selecting group of people that are struggling with a lot of and depression and anxiety. And so, you know, if you ask me like, oh, you know, everybody I know is, everybody I know is anxious. Everybody right, is depressed. Right, right. Every relationship I know is in trouble. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to be really careful that you are in some ways, you know, read, you know, and if you watch only local news, you would think that everybody's getting mugged and everybody's getting, and there's a car accident every five seconds. You know, so, so we just have to be aware that the medium, the way we get our news tends to define what kind of news we get. And so we would probably do well sometimes to just take a walk and talk to some people around us and just say, so what's going on? What do you, what do you see? What's happening in your world? Yeah, totally agree. The, the thing that's been working for me a lot too, and this is just a, an additional thing is I start my day, you know, I'll like, I'll look at the news first thing in the morning. Like, like we talked about reading the paper, you know, I'll do that. Um, and then, but after, after I get started with, with my work day, that's it. Like I, I don't go back to it the rest of the day. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that's, and, and really we should do an episode where we get some people in to help us talk about media diet, media literacy, mm -hmm. you know, how to pick your sources, when to take in your news, you know, almost like we would have a nutritionist on here and go like, Hey, you want to be healthy? Like this is what this is what you do. This is the this is what healthy food is, and yeah. this is what a healthy amount of it is, and this is the best times to eat it, and this is the best times not. If you eat this food late at night, you'll have bad dreams. If you consume this kind of media late at night, you'll you'll have a skewed perspective. Like that would probably be a really healthy episode to do. So yeah, like, that's let's good. make a note that's on good. that one. Okay, okay. Is that the last one? No, one final question. If you have time, yeah, go for it. What would you say to a friend who seems to be on a kick of exploring new religions and expressing openness to all the ideas in them. Should I be advocating secularism or just supporting her in her quest for fulfillment wherever it happens to come? Wow. I, I mean, in some ways, I guess it depends on the friend, but um, yeah. When, have you ever met, have you ever known anybody who's on a kick to like explore new religions? Yeah. I've, what I have sort of seen more is, a, just a general openness to 
I think openness kind of to, to, to an area of fault, <laughs> um, about every new idea, but it's stuff that I kind of consider to be wooey and crazy. Okay. So I, I got an answer then. Yeah. Because I think that when somebody's exploring those things because they want to understand, they're curious about how other people think about things. I think you know, that should be encouraged. That's a great thing. Um, but I think when somebody's credulous, when somebody is an e easily buys into stuff. Oh, that's a good word. Yeah. You seem like bouncing from the thing, buying into it, or sort of take like acting as though all these things can be held simultaneously. Yes. And there just seems, seem to be so compelled by everything. Like every, you know, like every new idea is, is a great one. And I think that that's where you get out the old, you, you, you go back to old Anthony Magna Bosco and street epistemology. Yeah. And you go like, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to try to sell you on believing what I believe. But what I, would, I do want to do is I want to sort of like ask, how do we... How do we know if something's true? How do, how do you discern a good idea? Um, from, a, from a bad one, yeah. Yeah, you know, how do you know if something's true? Like, and, and, and Anthony, that, that, that's what, do you remember him? He was like this guy who like, He's he great. would stop people on the street and he would ask them about some deeply held belief they have. And, and, and he wouldn't criticize. He would just say like, now, how do you, you know, how did you come to that? And how would you, how would you know if it wasn't true? And, and, yeah. and he had a whole, way of talking with people that really caused them to ask the question, how do I know what I think I know? Yeah. And it's, and it goes beyond being friendly. It's, it's a very specific way of kind of using reasoning with them. Um, but not a, in a way that doesn't make them defensive because you're just asking good questions. Yeah. If people, if people want to see that in action, they should just Google street epistemology and it, lots of videos will come up. Yeah. And so that, that, you know, but I think that the larger scale question of this person sort of saying like, hey, my friend is just, they're just spiritually promiscuous and they're just, you know, getting with everything. And you say, like, yeah, you know, you might want to sort of go like, well, in the same way that I would if somebody was actually promiscuous and they were out there bouncing from relationship to relationship or guy to guy, and there didn't seem to be any, and they were excited about every one of them, even though they don't, they all have, you know, they all have completely different vices. So I go like, hey, what are you looking for in a guy? How would you know if you found a good guy? Like, I know you're excited. Like, I know that once you get with a guy, you always get excited about him. But like, let's just step back from that and ask like, where are you trying to get to in your life? What would connote, what, what would denote a good guy? And then let's, why don't you take that with you as you go and as, as, as you meet people? Yeah, and I, I think it'd be the same way with religion. It's like, what are you looking for? What, what, what's, what's this? What's this work? How do you know if something is true? How do you know if something is valuable? And and I, like that would be the that would be the approach I would take to my friend. Yeah, that's good. Oh, this was this was interesting. Like, I, like it's funny because I don't actually think I don't actually think I'm an expert on any of the things that we talked about. Um, but what I think I am an expert at is answering questions really fast, whether or not I know what I'm talking about <laughs> and hopefully answering them f with a consistent overall direction in the end, our lives ultimately are probably not very significant in the broad scheme of things. What matters most in our lives 
is the way in which we're interacting with the people right around us. And so you might want to use that, you know, as you're thinking about pornography, (laughs) instead of thinking about it on this kind of broad macro scale, you know, how's this going to affect my relationships with the people closest to me, my kids, you know, you know, what impact do I think this has on the ecosystem that I'm living in? Because I think like on all these questions, that's not a bad place to start. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you, Bart. Ah, thanks for this. uh, It's delightful. And thanks to all the people that send in questions. And thanks to all the people that bothered to listen to us talking about them. It's all a lot better than planting a tree in my backyard this morning. (laughs) How's that for bringing it all back? You're not quite so cantankerous anymore. I love it. I'm not. I feel much better. You feel good. You know, I'm like, and this, and by the way, if you're ever looking for a definition of uh, like a, a lived definition of extrovert, this is it right now. Yeah. And that is that. You know, gosh, John, get me on the phone. We'll talk for an hour and I'll feel way better because I'm actually interacting with a human being. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, you guys, we'll see you next time on Humanize Me. To hear an exclusive extra episode every month, please go to patreon.com slash humanize me. You'll also get Bart's monthly newsletter over there and get access to some great Humanize Me merch. Our supporters on Patreon are the ones making this show happen. For more information on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. Also, if you choose to listen to the podcast on Spotify, we have a listener poll that you can take part in every episode, including this one. So join us on Spotify. Humanize Me is produced by Katie Johnson-Smith, me, John Wright, and Bart Campolo. Hey, you could be larger than life. Hey, so John, thanks for the credits. You got anybody else for us? I do. Let's thank Mike W. Mikey Khan. Peter Tubbs. Rebecca Reed. Richard Dewey. Robert Weber. And Roy Wilman and Mary Warrer, who are acting as one patron. Do you know, you know, I married that couple. I married Did you that really? Couple. Yes. And yes. Mary kept her maiden name or or her existing name. She didn't take uh, the Wilman name. No, I, I mean they're I, they're both older people. They're 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 friends of Mark. Like I they weren't our friends. Like they hooked they they reached me through the humanist society because they were looking for a, an officiant for their wedding. Um, I officiated their wedding, thought they were the cool like if you'd have seen their wedding. And the way that their friends and they interacted, I was like, wow, these are super cool people. No, that's and, cool. Um, yeah. And so ended up somehow we, we, we did dinner together. We, we've done stuff like they're, they were connected to Caravan for, you know, when, they're just wonderful human beings. Like seriously, that whole list, that's full of, mm-hmm. there are a lot of lovely people on that list. Cool. Um, 
But you know that this should never, right? This is never surprising to you, is it? No, never, never. No, no. Thanks, thanks everybody. It means so much to have, um, yeah, just to have so many people that care about what we're doing enough to make it possible for us to keep doing it because they think it might be valuable. Maybe, maybe, maybe somebody's doing social. Like, I like this podcast, but I have a feeling that a lot of the people that are doing this are doing it because they're like, I think this is an important podcast. I may not listen to it all the time, but I think somebody should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so thanks. 